ஜலிஸ்மிஸ்ட்ரேட்ஜலி who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class uh, we were studying the 18th and the 19th sutra of the second chapter of patanjali yoga sutra which deals with the drishya the world which we are perceiving what's the nature of it how the perception happens what's the mode of perception once we know that it helps us spiritually by being aware of the fact that the world which we take as if for granted to be something tangible real to be something which is palpably tangent tangibly uh, visible as true we will find that the way the yoga shastra has dealt with the mode of perception that how the perception is happening how our psychology evolves our mind evolves to as if project the world of reality that itself that awareness itself becomes the cause of detachment very nicely in the gospel of sri ramakrishna sri ramakrishna says a very interesting thing that once you recognize maya the maya flees and he gives a very nice example the small children were all playing and suddenly an elderly person who happens to be the uncle of all those children in the joint family he just wears the bare skin and comes and enters the room where the children were play- playing and starts scaring them the children were scared they were terrified they were screaming and suddenly one of the small child one small girl she somehow understood that it's not the real bear it's our uncle who has actually taken the disguise of the bear by wearing the bear skin to scare us so she immediately shouts out oh it's you the uncle the moment the girls shouts out that oh you the uncle the uncle now understand that in no way he can continue to scared them all the children so he opens the bear skin so this is the story which sri ramakrishna says to explain the fact that maya in so many way the ignorance avidya in so many ways is as if forcing us to go through the various experiences of life maybe some some of them are pleasurable some of them are full of misery sorrow but they are not real 
At the moment, like the children, we decipher its real nature. We can unmask it. Immediately it loses its strength. It can no more scare us. So to know Maya itself is a great leap in your spiritual journey. So as we told that though the scripture, though this, all these sutras to certain extent appear to be abstract, but its intention, ultimately its intention is to make us aware of the fact that the drishya, the thing which we are witnessing is actually the world of virtual reality. It's not the thing which uh, uh, we can take it as something uh, a real. So that's the thing we have been just discussing. And we saw that what was being discussed there, that the entire drishya is actually nothing but the mutation of the three gunas, sattva, raja, and tama. So this sattva, raja, tama actually speaks of the stimuli response conditioning. If we try to understand it in the modern terminology, it can be actually explained as the stimuli response conditioning. What is sattva? If you just study thoroughly the scriptures and try to find out how sattva has been defined, sattva has been defined as illumination. Let us take the particular clue from the scripture to understand what sattva is. Sattva is illumination. First point. The organs of perceptions are pure sattva. The eyes, these are the organs of perception, the eyes, the ears, the nose by which I'm smelling, the tongue by which I test and the skin by which I touch. These five senses of perception are pure sattva. So the first clue is sattva is pure illumination. The organs of perception, the Gyanendriyas, these five organs of Gyanendriya are pure Sattva. And what is Rajas? Rajas is activity. And the five organs of action, the Karmendriyas, Pancha Karmendriya, are Rajas, pure Rajas. What are the five organs of action? All the actions which we do is done by the five organs of action. What are they? The two hands, the two feet, hasta pada, walk, the speech. The tongue was used for tasting the food. And again, the walk, the speech is used for as a karmendriya to just speak to or speech is the walk. The place is the same, but when I, am when I am perceiving something, then that is used for tasting. And when I'm using it as an organ of action, then it comes, it finds expression as the walk. And what else? The organ of excretion and the organ of procreation. So these are the five organs of action. And they, the scriptures have spoken that they are the pure rajas. So the clue, again, you find that for rajas, it's action and the organs of action are the seat of the rajas. And what is tamas? 
they speak of pancha tanmatra which conglomerates as pancha bhuta this is tamas so now generally the way we understand tamas when we speak of pancha bhuta pancha tanmatra as the external world the way we see it and most probably the sub atomic particles are the tanmatras so if we try to understand that way we can never find what actually has been spoken of as the three guna what actually the tanmatras mean tanmatras actually mean the peace mill perception it's something which even the modern science will ascertain to that what's the peace mill perception that how our perceptions are happening very interesting when you are watching the movie forget about uh, just our the real perception when i'm dealing with uh, our day to day life with a person just when i'm watching the movie very interesting thing in the movie in the screen some character is speaking and the sound comes from the sound box but when i'm watching the movie what happens do i feel that the sound is coming from the sound box and the one who is speaking i am he is a different person no somehow you will find that they are synchronized in such a way i feel the character is speaking but actually the words are not coming out the sound is not coming out from the mouth of the character which is being projected in the screen it is coming from the sound box but why i feel the character is speaking because the mind does the wonderful job the one who is speaking the vision is getting synchronized with the sound two are coming from two different sources the vision is coming from the screen and the sound is coming from the sound box but as the mind synthesizes that these two different piecemeal perceptions i feel the character is speaking so that's how all the perceptions are happening the external world whatever i am seeing the thing when i'm seeing the red flower of a wonderful fragrance and when i touch there is a soft touch all these sensations i feel is of the flower what actually is happening i pluck the flower i am sensing it with my hand wonderful fragrance is coming the color the vibrant color i am seeing and i attribute everything to the flower but what is happening the entire flower is not entering my mind as a whole the color is perceived separately with the color perception center its form is perceived with the form perception center these are different the perception center of the color doesn't match with the perception center of the form you know it can be very easily understood those who have the ab- the aberration like the color blindness or you just uh, there is not color blindness even there are some person who see particular alphabet particular digits as particular color say the uh numeral 7 when the seven may be printed in red color may be printed in white may be printed in blue there are certain person who always see that seven as red what has happened somehow these two centers of perception the color perception and the form perception this numerical or the alphabet for perception center 
the two different centers, but are very nearly placed. Because of some aberration, some defect, these two gets short-circuited. The red color has got short-circuited with a digit. And whenever that person sees that digit, it sees in a wonderful color. Such persons exact the name of that disease. We won't say disease, the different way of perception, that other way of perception such these persons have. Such persons have prolific memory. You know why? Very interesting. They're very prolific memory. Now, when we are reading a book, you will find that we have the habit that when certain points we want to highlight, we will highlight with some particular color. With all those color, when we highlight, we can just simply analyze the text and it helps us to retain. For those person, as a particular alphabet or a particular digit is in a particular color, the entire book gets highlighted all the various colors and everything. And it becomes easy for that person to, anal to study it very analytically. And that enables them to have a prolific memory. So what we are saying is, uh, why we are saying all those things? Just to say that these organs of perceptions are all separate. We never feel it because the mind is synthesizing them in such a nice way. When I see the flower, the redness, the form, all are perceived in different center. The fragrance, everything is perceived. It's texture when I'm touching it, all are perceived in different centers. This, all perceptions are at last synthesized to give a feeling of wholeness, which actually is not the thing which is out there. So why uh, this? What why we are saying these piecemeal perceptions are the tanmatras, not the subatomic particles. These piecemeal perceptions, when they are synthesizing, they become the bhuta. This world, the way I see it, is the bhuta. So now, very interesting thing. What you will understand that when you are in deep sleep, my mind is not blank. Generally, with no basic knowledge of neurology, we may feel that my mind is blank, the external world with its form, with its sound, with its uh, all smell is there to pour into the empty mind to give the perception. No, what is happening? All those concepts are already there in the potential form in my mind. They are the tanmatras. Why they have been called tamas? But as long as the external world as a suggestion is not there, they are not finding any expression. They're in the darkness. So tamas is darkness and these tanmatras are the sit house of that tamas. So it is in dark. At night, as if you were giving example, at the, when you night, you were sleeping. Your mind was not something empty. All those perceptions in the potential form were there. Morning, you wake up just look out, there's a wonderful flower in your garden. What has happened when you see the flower, those tanmatras now are getting uh, that activated because of that external suggestion. So this perception illumines the dark mind. There's all those concepts in the mind where there, this external perception is activating them, illuminating them. 
so the tamas is getting mutated converted into sattva perception and immediately after that what happens now if i am a devotee i feel like offering that flower to the divine in the altar in my house in a corner of my house as an altar so i feel like offering so i move out pluck the flower bring and offer it to the divine so this is the activity that stimuli now gets converted into rajas for that you have to use your organs of action your hand your feet you move out with your feet you go and pluck with your hand come and offer it to the divine so organs of actions are there that's why it is pure rajas when you're seeing with the eye it's pure perception that's why it is sattva with your ears so now you will find that how that if you just can uh weave up the all the clues which are given in the scripture you will find a wonderful thing that when the scripture is saying this world is nothing but three gunatmika it is actually speaking of the way that we are perceiving the ent universe it's not explaining the external universe it's actually in explaining the psychology of perception how it is happening and once you understand that you will find it is the mind is actually projecting the universe the external universe as such we don't know what it is there yes the scripture will assert at last what i am perceiving as the world of name and form is actually the consciousness alone but for the time being we can understand let's let us forget about the consciousness at this time being for the time being let us forget about it that external world what is there i don't know all the things one thing i am sure of there is something existence i cannot deny but what it is i don't know that isness whatever the attributes which i am seeing is the projection of the mind on that pure isness that pure isness is there on which all the attributes which i am just as if imposing is the projection of the mind so that's the drishya so now you will understand when the yoga shastra speaks of the evolution that the conscious principle got associated with the prakriti from that evolved the mahat the cosmic mind in the cosmic mind already all those tanmatras are there that cosmic mind now finds expression first as asmita when you are in deep sleep first you wake up first you are aware of yourself amness and that asmita now finds expression as sattva through the organs of perception as rajas through the organs of action and tamas with all the tanmatra the centers the opismil perceptions there's a tamas so that's how the entire that evolution is happening once the purusha comes in association with the prakriti the 24 tattvas are gradually evolving from the prakriti by its association with the conscious principle to create this world of virtual reality so that's the thing which we have studied in the 18th and in the 19th sutra now after explaining the drishya they will explain the drashta the one who is seeing what is its nature so for that now we will continue our discussion from the next sutra for which we will refer to the text and for that which we will share the screen
So the 20th Sutra speaks of the Drashta, the one who is the seer, the Purusha, the seer. So what, uh, how it is explaining the seer? Drashta Drishi Matraha Shuddhopi Pratyayanu Pashya. Drashta Drishi Matra Shuddhopi Pratyaya Anupashya. So the drashta, the seer, is pure consciousness. Drishi Matra. Just seeing, just observing. There is no mutation in it. It is just the observer. That's what is meant by Drishi Matra. Matra means only. It's just simply seeing. It's a consciousness only. And Shuddho Api, and though it is pure, it sees through the coloring of the intellect. Means it's never actually really affected. But the, when the intellect is getting colored, Pratyaya, this, all the, this Pratyaya means the contents of the Vritti. Their mind is constantly breaking into waves. When you are looking at the flower, the flower is actually as if, as if reflected in that wave. That reflection is the pratyaya, the content of the vritti. That is the knowledge. What the drashta is doing is constantly visualizing the content of each and every thought wave. That's what it's doing. But while doing that, what is happening? It's getting identified with that reflection. And that's constantly happening. So in the commentary, that example has been given that when you place the prism, a red flower in proximity of the prism, the prism appears to be red. It has not really become red, but the tinge of redness is as if something, the, uh, that redness is as if tinged, is, is as if uh, coloring that prism. The prism is as if getting tinged by the redness, but actually there is no change. So consciousness being in association with the Prakriti appears to be affected by the dualities. That's constantly happening. So in the three ways, the Buddhi indicates its association with the Purusha. So how it indicates? The first is it appears as illumination or consciousness. With our ordinary mind, when we are trying to understand our nature, we feel it is the mind which is conscious. It is our intellect which is conscious. But the yoga, the Vedanta, they say is that the mind actually is as inert as an inert object, as any other inert object. It by itself doesn't have the capacity to illumine. It is illumined by the conscious principle. And once the mind is illumined by the conscious principle, it in turn illumines my organs of perception, my feelings, my emotions, everything is being illumined by the mind, which has already been illumined by the conscious principle. And that is explained, that can be explained the way the earth is illumined by the moon on a full moon night. In a full moon night, I think the moon is illuminating, illuminating the entire world. 
But what has actually happening? The sun, which is illuminating the moon, is not visible to me. It's a reflected rays of the sun, which is perceived as the as the illumined moon. I think the moon is illumined. The same way, the mind is like the moon. So in our scriptures, that's why you will find in many places, the moon has been equated with the mind. The moon is not the mind. Why the moon has been equated with the mind? Just to understand the way, the way the moon appears to be an illumined object, but actually it has its, it doesn't have its own illumination. It's the sun whose rays are reflected on the moon, which again is reflected. Vimba Pratibimba. Reflection, again, re-reflection. So there is a vada called Primba Pratibimba Vada, which explains the way we find that the moon is actually itself, the rays of the moon is itself reflected. That again is being reflected on the earth, is illuminating the earth. The same way, the mind appears to be illumined because it is in association with the consciousness, with the Purusha, that makes it appear as illumined. By itself, it is just as inert as any other inert objects. So Buddha is also an evolute of nature, just like the body. It appears conscious because of the reflection of the drashta, the conscious principle on it. It is just like the moon illuminating the earth on a full moon night. So this is the first indication that there is Purusha behind the Buddhi. The second is very interesting, the faculty of awe. As a human being, you will find that we are bound to have that faculty of awe. To give an example, a small child, nowadays it is so difficult to uh, relate for the small child with all the mythological stories. And sometimes we don't encourage much because we find the child asks a thousand questions. And sometimes we don't have the proper preparation to answer those questions, we ourselves avoid. And we think that those are the things which are not required for the child's growth. Let him be intelligent, let him have a very rational mind. All those things are not required, they're secondary. But we forget one thing, as a human being, we can never, we can never get rid, we can never ignore that awe faculty. See the reason for which we don't uh, introduce the mythologies to the child, that reason actually doesn't work. You will find a very interesting thing. When the child returns from the school, Immediately, he won't even get the time to open the shoes and keep the school bag. Somehow he manages to throw them. First thing they will do will go and just open the monitor, either of the TV or of some, uh, what do you say that, a video display. And they will start seeing the cartoons. So many types of cartoons are there. The Spider-Man, Batman, nowadays, even the cartoons, so many cartoons are there, even I am not aware of, but you know, the children are so much almost hooked to it. And what they're seeing, all sorts of nonsense, 
the things which are never possible in reality. Those characters are doing something that the Spider-Man is climbing the wall, uh, the jumping on the 20 story, on the top of the 20 story building. All those things are being shown and this child is totally hooked up, is totally uh, focused on those characters. It almost gets identified with them. Why it happens? Because of the faculty of awe. What is happening, you know, very interesting. That though we are constantly aware of the fact that I was born at a certain point of time, I'm going to die. As per my strength is concerned, as per my knowledge is concerned, everything is limited. But something within me constantly says, you are unlimited. In our scripture, it is very nicely told, kalpate. I can never think myself limited. I always think I'm beyond all the limitations. Why it is happening? It is because of the ego, ego of the conscious principle. The conscious principle by which our mind is associated, this body-mind complex is associated, that is limitless. That is beyond all limit. That is beyond all limit. The moment it gets reflected in the buddhi, the buddhi itself is a flow. It's constantly changing. It's constantly mutating. But the echo of that transcendental purusha is being reflected on that. And now the buddhi starts because of that echo of the transcendental nature of purusha. It starts things thinking, I am beyond all dualities. In its day-to-day life, constantly it finds it has a lot of limitations. But somehow it wants to deny that. And all those characters become the uh, way to relate to that limitlessness. The character that's, that that's actually speaks of the faculty of the awe. The child comes, sits down and gets identified. You will find that it's not only visualizing, even in day-to-day life, it tries to behave like a Spider-Man. It will go to the shop and purchase a garment which has that mark of that S or something. That, and he starts feeling, I am also like that. That's faculty of awe. The, you will find the young person that always trying to imitate the heroes of the movies. Because in the movie also you will find those characters are behaving. Are, their characters are behaving in super normal way. The strength, everything. And somehow we f- f- try to get identified with that. And the young generation you will find sometimes get so much identified. They try to dress that way. They try to have the hairstyle that way. Why? Again, that awe faculty. Why that the limitations, we don't want to agree that I am limited. So that all we limit to that, we try to relate to that unlimitedness. Why it is happening? Because the purusha, which is getting reflected in the buddhi, which has its limitations. But the purusha, which is limitless, its reflection is making it feel, I am also limitless. Constantly it is failing to realize that limitlessness in his day-to-day life. Only through that awe faculty somehow, it tries to satisfy itself. And we cannot get rid of that. So now you will find a very interesting thing that all those mythologies, the science behind is, is to take the help of that awe faculty to rise up in love. In our day-to-day life, what happens, very interesting thing. The same awe faculty f- makes us to fall in love. 
I will say a very, very funny incident in the life of Swami Vivekananda. When Swami Vivekananda was in the West, he was speaking of the nature of our self, the non-dual self, that you are beyond all limitations. And all were inspired. Suddenly one person got up and told Swamiji, you are speaking of that non-dual consciousness as our reality, but in practice, you are all idol worshippers. How you relate this to? You speak of the conscious principle as your reality and then in your practice, you have some idol in your, in your vicinity, in your front, you place it in the altar and worship it. How you relate this to? Swami Vivekananda had a very mischievous smile in his face. He never gave the answer directly. He started pacing up and down the, the dais and then stopped and pointing to the person who questioned him, he told why? you also are idol worshippers. That man was taken aback. He was a bit surprised. How come Swamiji that we are idol worshippers? And then the way the Swamiji gave a very funny reply. He told, why? You the young men, won't you kneel down in front of a young lady and say, oh, you are the angel? <laughs> so that's in a funny way. What's happening? It's an idol worship. A, Woman in flesh and bones, because of that awe faculty, you think something, oh, she's heavenly. And in a very short time, when they start living together, you find no nothing, that all the heavenly factor is gone. Now, uh, all those impositions have gone. That what has happened? Then you find, I, I, was actu I have actually fallen in love. We always use the word, because we always, at last, we find that because of that infatuation, we fall. That awe faculty has actually forced us to fall in love. The same awe faculty actually was used by all the perennial philosophies of the world to rise in love, not to fall. Those same awe faculty was used in such a way that I rise in love, that it enables me to liberate. When you read the character of Rama, of Krishna, they are also supernatural, but those supernatural character you will find is interwoven with the spirituality in such a way that at last with that awe faculty, you are dissociating yourself from the Prakriti and getting more and more attuned to the world of spirit. The same awe faculty was used. So now you will find that how important it is in the name of rationality, when we just totally try to negate all the mythology, the symbols, which the world has developed through the process of evolution. It was not that someone sat and planned to have all those things. It evolved because of that awe faculty. In our day-to-day -day life, constantly it finds expression. In, you, get mono, you get totally bored by your day-to-day -day activities, duties, and then you want a change. You take a few days leave, spend your money for what? You go to some that beautiful scenic place. Mainly to at all the scenic place at last can be, you can just uh, boil down to two things. Either it's the tire of mountains or the ocean. The limitless expanse of the ocean with that, that all faculties finds expression. You get absorbed in that limitlessness. You go to the Himalaya mountains and see the tires of mountains, that sense of limitlessness, that all faculty relates to that. You're spending money just to relate to that awe faculty and you are relieved. 
So that's the faculty of awe. That spook speaks of the Purusha, the who is the limitless, who is constantly echoing through our mind. The mind is within the limits. It's always within the dualities. But somehow something is echoing behind that saying, you are limitless. And we are constantly chasing that. And that's the faculty of awe, which speaks of the conscious behind principle behind our mind. And it is this conscious principle, which actually that, which is echoing through our mind, explains the entire process of evolution. Just take a small microbe. It knows very well, a little extra stimuli, a little more light will kill it. A little more change in temperature will kill it. But something within it is saying, I am beyond death. So what it does, how the evolution happens, because of that ignorance, that as body-mind complex, it is never limitless, it is never eternal. But the self behind that small microbe is saying, you are eternal. So what it does, it now fights with the nature. What it does, it will just conglomerate with other microbes. And now they equip themselves to fight against nature. There will be division of labor. Alone for me to do digestion, to take respiration, circulation, all those duties when I do alone, I cannot fight with the nature. I cannot equip myself well. So we conglomerate and there's a division of labor. You will find a microbe actually, a single cell is doing everything. But as a human being, so various cells are specialized. Heart cells are doing the circulation. The nervous system is doing all the, our perceptions, digestion, this all the, our digestive system is doing the digestion. So they have all specialized so that we can fight with the nature as if to become immortal. We want to become immortal. And that's how the evolution has happened through the ignorance. The same all faculty is working. And out of ignorance, I'm thinking the one who is echoing that you, you are immortal can be realized. And then as a human being, the evolution cannot be in a straight line. It is a cycle. But the human being is at the apex of evolution. As a human being, we can realize the fact that it is out of ignorance. We were trying to conquer nature. But actually, I am already eternal. It was my association with the Prakriti, which made me feel that I am just mortal. I have to become immortal. That urge for immortality was my real nature. But as I got associated with the reflection, I was never realizing it. I was already that. I won't have to become immortal. I'm already that. For that, I just have to dissociate myself from this wrong identification. And thus the ignorance falls from the eternal Purusha, that's conscious principle you started again, that evolution, the physical evolution stops. Now the spiritual evolution takes you back to your real nature. So that's how very nicely the Yoga Sutra will say, then the work of the Prakriti is to take you to the experience at last, taking you to liberation, Bhoga Apavarga. And all this is how it is happening because of that faculty of awe. So that's the thing which indicates that there is a self behind. 
Otherwise, we could, why should that knowing it with fact that we are going to die, we cannot be eternally happy, why we are chasing after it? Because something is there behind, which is beyond the limitation. So this faculty of awe actually speaks of the Purusha. The second, the third indication which the Buddha gives that there is something beyond the, uh, what you say, that beyond the mind, the eternal conscious principle, which we have already spoken, the synchronization of the various piecemeal perceptions with which we uh, today started our discussion, which is happening to give a sense of wholeness of whatever we see. Unless the conscious principle is there as the screen, as the background, when you are watching the movie, the constantly the pictures are changing. But you need the immovable, that unmoving screen for all those constant change to be projected to give you a sense of reality. So what is that eternal background on which all the piecemeal perceptions are getting synchronized? That's again the yoga is saying is the conscious principle. So each sense organ has a discrete center of perception. Then how do piecemeal perceptions harmonize to give a sense of wholeness? So for example, when someone is speaking, we see and hear the person simultaneously. How does it happen? It is the purusha behind the buddhi where all sensations and perceptions harmonize and integrate to give a sense of wholeness. So in the Vyasa Bhashya, these three indications are being mentioned, which explains that behind the buddhi, the conscious principle is there as the drashta. When it is there, immediately the prakriti starts becoming active in various ways. Sri Ramakrishna has a very funny way of uh, relating to this fact. He says, even in a family, when some festive event is there, some marriage, wedding ceremony or something, in the olden days, we'll find the lady of the house, the most probably the mother of the boy or the girl who is going to get married, you'll find is extremely active. She has all the keys tied to the, uh, what's the end of her sari. She's running extremely busy. And the man in the olden days, Swamiji is giving that example, is just relaxing. He's just having a hookah, this the pipe in his hand, and he's just smoking and relaxing. And the lady will come now and then and just relate what all work already has been undertaken, what she's going to do the next work. And the man simply nods and says, okay, go on. So that's the example Sri Ramakrishna is saying, the Purusha is there sitting, relaxed, just to nod. And for that, the Prakriti is doing everything, but she needs that nod of the Purusha to continue with all the activities. As long as she, he is there uh, to just to whom he can relate, she becomes active, extremely active. So this Prakriti, that's why this, this, the house lady, Sri Ramakrishna is equating with the Prakriti. And the one that the relaxed Purusha sitting there is the Purusha. So he is required for the Prakriti to become active. So that's how with the association of the Purusha and Prakriti, this the entire panorama is being recreated. So now the question is why nature comes in association 
Why? Tadarthang eva. That's 21st Sutra speaks of. Drishyasyatma. Tadartha eva drishyasyatma. The nature of the experience, that is the prakriti, is verily for him, the purusha. It has no purpose of its own to take the purusha through the process of evolution, as we were telling, first to the bhoga and then to the upper varga. Swami Vivekananda is giving the example that the prakriti is like a book. Someone says this particular book is the best seller. It's a very interesting book. And then I don't know what's the content of it. Then I start reading. Page after page, I go on turning. And I get totally absorbed in it. And when I reach the last page, now the book has been read. I know the contents of it. That book is of no more interest to me. Now I keep it aside. So Prakriti, like the book, is there just for the experience of the Purusha. It takes him through the certain experiences. At last, when it has got the knowledge of his own self with, the, with its association with the Prakriti, at last, Prakriti is something which we get rid of, get dissociated. There is no use of it. So for the Bhoga and the upper varga of the Purusha, the Prakriti is there. In the Sankhya philosophy, there is a wonderful sutra. The Sankhya and Yoga are the twin philosophies. Sankhya speaks of the philosophy and Yoga speaks of the practice. To, be, to just categorize broadly. So in Sankhya philosophy, there is a wonderful sutra which is, uh, we have just mentioned here, Sanghata Parārthatvāt. That in this world, you just take anything which is if which has formed by the conglomeration of very small small uh, constituents that various constituents conglomerate together to form a whole once that whole is formed that whole doesn't serve the purpose of any of those conglomerates if the example will any example will help you to understand what I am actually speaking. Just say the room in which I am sitting or the room where you are at present. What's the room constituted? It's constituted of bricks, cement, maybe some log woods. And it may, it is having, uh, you have, have lighted the room, the electricity is there, the light is there. If it is, is uh, hot sultry season, the air condition is there, or the heater is there when it's the winter. All those things are the constituents of the room. But does the room serve any purpose for the heating system, for the brick, for the cement, for the mortar, for the log wood by which it is constituted? The room doesn't serve any purpose for them. It serves the purpose for someone who is not a constituent of that room. Say me, I am the one, I am not a constituent of the room. I come from outside and for me, the room serves the purpose in various ways. It is giving me shelter or when I am using it as a shrine, it has a particular purpose. So it is serving the purpose for one who is not a constituent. In this world, 
So in Vedanta, they say the microcosm and the macrocosm are built in the same manner. If you know the constituent of a sand particle, you know the constituent of the entire universe. If you know the uh, how the atom is composed, you know the composition of the entire universe. Even a small child will understand that how we explain atom, there's a nucleus, electrons are revolving around it, isn't it? The sun is there around which the planets are revolving. So you will find the same pattern is actually replicated in everything. So if you know one thing, you can know everything. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when the house lady is cooking rice, whether the rice is cooked or not, to know that she need not have to press each and every rice. When the rice is boiling, she just picks up one rice, presses it between her finger, finds it has become soft, and she understands all the entire, all the rice have become soft. So that's the wonderful example Ramakrishna is giving. Just study one phenomenon, you know the entire phenomenon. So here also, the same way that uh, this, on this, uh, what you say, the microcosm and the macrocosm is built in the same manner. If you study any in this nature, anything which is actually conglomeration of various constituent, you go on studying, you won't find that the whole, the thing by which this all this uh, thing has been made up, it is not serving the purpose of any of the constituent. It is serving the purpose of something else. In the hospital you go, the doctor, the nurse, the building, it's not serving the purpose for them. It is serving the purpose for the patient who is coming from outside. So everywhere, anything, the school, the college, the university, the thing by which it is made, it doesn't serve the purpose for them. It serves the purpose for someone who is coming from outside. So it is paratha. It is for someone who is not a constituent. Then how can this psychophysical existence be in itself an entity which is, uh, which is meant there for its own enjoyment? Something apart from it must be there. So how see how wonderfully uh, they have this, this analogy has been used to understand that nature by itself cannot explain the entire existence. There must be something beyond nature. And that is been spoken of as samhata. All samhata means a composition, a composite, a thing which has become whole by various constituents coming, conglomerating together. That is samhata. That is meant for parartha, for something which is not a part of it. Samhata parartha so that has been spoken of in this sutra. So example given by Swami Vivekananda, by comparing nature with a mirror, which goes on reflecting more and more clearly the nature of Purusha, ultimately leading to liberation. That's how it is Parartha. So Swami Vivekananda is saying that this nature is as if like a mirror. As with that example we were giving, in a small microbe, the Purusha is reflected very poorly. Now it's evolving. When it comes to human being, now there's a possibility of a clear reflection. You see the self, you realize that this association with the body-mind complex is out of ignorance. This is possible only in the mirror called the human mind. All those previous reflection was like something like very hazy reflection that I see everything, but I cannot see my own face. 
to see my own face i need a mirror so i what i do i go and stand in front of a, a muddy water the water which is murky and i just see the outline i am not satisfied then i go to a infra just in the vicinity of a clear lake my reflection is better still i am not satisfied i go and then just find a shining metal still better at last a mirror which may be full of dirt i clean the dirt and then the almost my replica is being reflected now i am satisfied that's what the prakriti is there for the purusha through the all the various evolution as various uh, creature at last ending in the human being we find there's a better and better reflection of the purusha is possible that's why swami is saying that the human being is the taj mahal of all temples is the that's the best one in that body only we can have that the realization of our real nature that's why it's the taj mahal of all temples that's so that's all this but after all this entire nature whether it's a microbe or it's a human body it serves the purpose of purusha by taking it to the process of bhoga and apavarga the bhoga is happening because of pravritti because of our attachment because pravritti means i am just the uh, vritti means encircling i am encircling more and more towards the nature and at last when i realize that this is out of ignorance that i am already perfect then comes the nivritti that same uh, that uh, encircling motion is now radially opposite direction it takes you outward so the entire process of evolution is meant for the purusha to go through this process of bhoga and then apavarga so bhoga is because of the pravritti apavarga is because of the nivritti and then at last the purusha get disidentified from the prakriti and it renders it the freedom so this 22nd sutra speaks very interesting thing that once i am free then why should the nature continue kritartham with this sutra we will end our discussion today that though it is destroyed for one whose goal has been gained yet it is not destroyed being common to others but you may attain liberation through the process of evolution but others are still continuing because their ignorance is yet to fall off so the prakriti's purpose is there for the others maybe for you it has already fulfilled the purpose so you are liberated but it the prakriti continues for others just the way the movie show they say it's a hit movie the movie has is hit how for weeks together it is running but who are seeing are the same person we seeing it again and again no it's all the different person the movie show goes on the one who have already seen his purpose is fulfilled but the others are there for them that urge is still there so that's how the movie show goes on so similarly the prakriti continues for the others so that's being mentioned in this 622 sutra so kritartha though destroyed for the one whose goal has been gained krita artha artha means the purpose krita means done 
one whose purpose is fulfilled is krita artha for him nashta pratinashta that the prakriti is destroyed for that for such person but anashtam it is not destroyed tat anya for others sadharanatva for all others in general who are yet to go through that process of spiritual evolution it continues there so that's being mentioned in the 22nd sutra so we will continue a uh, few more sutras are there to discuss this nature of purush and prakriti and then we will be entering into the main yoga shastra that eight ashta that eight limbs of yoga this ashtanga yoga that the discussion on that will start after we uh, just concluding the 27th sutra the discussion of the nature of the purushan prakriti this is a bit abstract after that on the 27th on the 28th sutra onwards the practical practices will be spoken of in the yoga sutra which we will be going gradually i think the next class we will be finishing off uh, this discussion on the purushan prakriti and from the succeeding classes we will enter into that practical practices the ashtanga yoga one by one we will take up and the discussion will continue as we proceed through the sutras with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskar pranam swami ji ha namaskar ayo swami ji namaskar